here in the middle of actually a sermon series. We're walking through the book of Joshua, and God has been speaking to us in some powerful ways, um, telling us about this new time in the people of God's life, how God has been moving them from a time when they wandered in the wilderness, uh, when they were separated um, uh, from uh, the initial, seems like, plan that God had getting them to the promised land, to a place where God very much fulfilled his presence, his power, his revelation with them, but took care of them. Now they were finally there. It was the time for the promised land. Last week, we learned about how as they crossed from the Jordan, they set up stones of remembrance. Then we learned about the fact that they renewed some covenants, the covenant of circumcision, but this really special one, they celebrated the Passover and how we as a church need to remember and how we need to continue to tell the story do the rituals. Those all have value for us. Well, today, we're seeing another part of the story. We're going to jump ahead, or are we? Mm, We're going to find out. We're going to jump ahead to chapter 8, and it says this, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it, listen closely, in according to what was written in the book of the law. It was an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. Now on it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. And there, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the entire law of Moses. Now all of the Israelites with their elders and officials and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. They were facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Now half the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, given them instructions to bless all of the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all. Okay, that might have been a long service. Joshua read all of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as what was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children and the foreigners who lived among them the word of the Lord. Well, it's an interesting part of the story. We jump to chapter 8, where the people move to uh, these two mountains, and we're going to talk about them in a minute, move to these mountains where they heard that the law of the Lord were reminded of the commandments of God. And some of you who know the Joshua story a little bit said, wait a second, (coughs) Pastor Mike, you skipped over the battle of Jericho. You skipped over the battle of Ai. If there's one part of the story, that's the story I know. That's the one I remember when I was a little kid from Sunday school. I don't know if anybody else remembers the Battle of Jericho. We had a little song. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling. You you guys remember this one, right? Does anybody remember this? I would sing these songs. That was my favorite one. They marched around and the walls came down. and they, you know, I, I think we didn't think as we were kids how scary that really probably was. But, you know, it was a fun song to sing. And, and that was my favorite story from the whole book of Joshua. Why would you skip over it? Well, it's an interesting thing. In verse 30, did you hear what it said? Then Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebal. Then. 
there's actually some question about when then was. Wait, what? Yeah, there's actually a question about when then was. Now, in the text we have, then comes after the battle of Jericho, after the battle of Ai. Then they went to this mountain Ebal and they set it up. But it's different in the scrolls and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Wait a second, what's the Dead Sea Scrolls? Does anybody know the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls? It's a fascinating little story. Back in 1946, 1947, there was this young Bedouin boy whose job was to herd goats. Now, I heard on NPR this week that um, there's a lady that her job is the head goat herder, and she takes goats all around Philadelphia and New York City, and they clean out all the foliage and invasive species. They're just like, okay, goats, sick them. And for whatever reason, goats love the invasive species. And so we have contemporary goat herders. But this young man, I don't think he was like doing something so ecologically friendly. He was just having his goats, and they kept wandering up higher and higher on the hillside. He went to get them and noticed there were some caves. Well, if you're a little boy, what do you do when you see caves? You start throwing rocks, seeing if you can get them in the caves, because what else do you do when you're herding goats? And all of a sudden, he heard a crash. In these caves, there were these stone jars. There were these stone jars in these caves, and in the jars were actually scrolls that were part of this Qumran community. They're part of these Essene communities. These scrolls that contained, uh, along with some other writings, scripture, Old Testament books. In fact, it contained every book in the Old Testament except for the book of Esther. Now you're thinking, well, that's kind of nifty, but you've got to understand. This pushed the oldest manuscripts that we had copies of back a thousand years. All of a sudden, we could compare, okay, did they write exactly the same? Did they copy it exactly the same way? Was God's word preserved carefully? Or was it just kind of like stories men made up? Was it just sort of like been retold, retold? Almost to the letter, they matched. There were a few variations. There's a few little small parts, but almost to the letter. The Dead Sea Scrolls and what's called the Masoretic Text, which most of our translations are based on, matched. Brothers and sisters, that's incredible. I mean, when my wife tells me to copy down a list of groceries, I always leave off about two or three things. I mean, I make mistakes all of the time. When you, I, I mean, I just turned in a major paper, and my mom wanted to read it. Does anybody's mom still read papers? Okay, my mom's still reading my papers. And she was like, um, it was of instead of off. You missed one. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know. Spell check doesn't catch it all. Um, you know, I'm still making mistakes. With computers, we're making mistakes. Copying errors occurred all the time. But the preservation of God's word, especially in the Old Testament, was very, very exact. And we can take a lot of great confidence in the fact that God preserved his word. In fact, it says in Psalm 119, You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. Your statutes you have laid down are righteous, and they are fully trustworthy. Now, I hear this all the time. When I'm teaching my New Testament class at college, when I'm talking to young college students, people are like, well, isn't the Bible, you know, I mean, it's so long ago, and, you know, lots of different people wrote a lot of different things, and there are lots of different versions, and who can trust which ones? Who can, you know, what, what do we trust? Well, there is some truth to the fact that there are a lot of different translations, but they are trustworthy. There are some that are more, like, try to be more careful to be closer to the original 
meaning, and there's some that are a little more paraphrased. Right now we're using the New International Version. That's the ones we have usually here around the church, and that's the one that I use on Sundays. The New International is a pretty close translation. There's the English Standard Version. That's a pretty good translation. New King James, pretty good translation. There are some great translations of the Bible. There are some that are a little more paraphrasy, right? They're going to be a little, is paraphrasy an actual adjective? Um, they are paraphrasing. They add a little bit of the interpreter's thoughts to it. Did you hear in our call to worship this morning? We actually use the message. We use that occasionally. We want to illustrate even today. If you know the scripture says, hey, those who worship the Lord will worship in spirit and truth. That's what Jesus said. The paraphrase kind of gives a little bit more of like, what does the interpreter think? What does that translator sort of think spirit and truth meant? Because it could mean a bunch of different things. So paraphrases are helpful. They're like commentaries. They tell us what one Christian is wrestling with and thinking of. But as we do our devotions and when we do our Bible study, that's where we want to make sure we use a, a translation like the NIV or the ESV, something that, that tries to get really, really close. And use those paraphrases as, well, that, the New Living, that, that really helped me understand it a little clearer. Does that make sense? You can use them in conjunction with one another because God's word is trustworthy. He's laid it down and he's helping us know it. And we have so many more tools now than ever, these commentaries and these different translations that we can compare to help us really make sure we're getting that accurate meaning from God. Does that help you? Does that give you more confidence? If that's confusing, that's what we're here to do. We're here to learn. My students often give, give me a little confused look as well um, <clears throat> when I first introduce some of this idea. Because the truth of the matter is, we don't have just some kind of a golden tablet that fell from the sky and word for word. We have what God has preserved through the centuries. The same message spoken again and again through 40 different authors over 1,200 years. God brought his word together and has preserved it even longer. Brothers and sisters, this little place in the text where I moved it from chapter 8 and all of a sudden I'm moving it in front of the Mount Jericho, this is one of the few interesting places in all of the Old Testament where the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls don't actually match up with the Masoretic text, the one we usually use for most of our translations. This is the one place where it's not like it's got different stories. They just moved it. They moved it. Like, somebody moved it some way. Now, we don't know which way. We don't know if it happened first and got moved later, or if it was later and got moved earlier. The older, te the, the older text, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, have it earlier. Now, why in the world would it have it earlier? Well, as we're going to see, probably it was either moved up or it happened first because it was trying to emphasize a point that God's word is to be fully obeyed. That when God gives a command, you're supposed to do it exactly like God commands it. He, we, and we also must faithfully follow God's instructions. Now here's what we learned. We learned last week that Moses said, when you cross into the promised land, you need to celebrate the Passover. And so sure enough, that was the first thing they did at Gilgal. They circumcised the males, and because they were supposed to have already done that, they circumcised the males, and then they celebrated the Passover. The very first thing, because God commanded it. Now, they either had to hurry up and fight that battle of Jericho, because that city was right there, and then moved the 25 miles to Shechem, where they did this celebration on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, where they had the covenant renewal, or they skipped Jericho, went straight to the mountain, because they, God had also spoken through Moses to do this covenant renewal on that mountain, 25 miles away, and then they came back to fight the battle. 
So that's why it may have been rearranged a little bit. That's why we're not really sure which, but look at how close it is. Look what it says. He, Joshua, built an altar according to what was written. Did you pick up on that? Five times it says it. According to what was written in the law of Moses. It was supposed to be an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. And they were supposed to offer burnt offerings and fellowship offerings there. Look at Deuteronomy 27, the law of God, the book of Moses. It says, and when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these two stones on the mountain Ebal as I command you today. So this is earlier. This is coming from Moses. This is before they crossed the river. He says, verse 5, build there an altar to the Lord, an altar of stones. Don't use any iron tool. Notice the exact correspondence. Build that altar Put up these stones. Don't use an iron tool. In chapter, uh, in, in chapter 8, uh, again in Joshua, it says, Therefore, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on the stones a copy of the book of the law of Moses. Again, back in Deuteronomy, Moses had told them to do exactly that. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And you shall write very clearly all of the words of the law on these stones that you have set up. Are you picking up what's going on? Moses said to do it, and Joshua do it, did it. In verse 33 of Joshua chapter 8, it says, Sacrifice fellowship offerings there. And they stood in front of, uh, verse 33, Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant had formerly commanded the people of Israel. Look at verse 12 in Deuteronomy 27. When you've crossed over the Jordan... Moses says, these tribes have them stand on Mount Gerizim. And these tribes have them stand on Mount Ebal. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, Benjamin. They're the ones that are going to be on Mount Z uh, Gerizim. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce the curses. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Moses concluded, so be very careful. Be very careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded. Don't turn aside to the right or to the left. Brothers and sisters, we got to be careful. We got to be careful. The emphasis from the text here is that they did exactly what God told them to do in exactly the way God told them to do this. Now, I got to be honest, <clears throat> when I'm given instructions, sometimes I try to figure out how I can get around it, right? Okay, the paper has to be 10 pages in length. <clears throat> now, what, did they specify font size? Because if I make it like, like, 35-foot font, I mean, I can, I can get a 10-page paper done pretty quickly. I, what, what exactly? We do word counts now. We don't do page length because you know, it has to be this many words, not because the computer will count the words for me. Right? We always are trying to find a way around the rules. We're always trying to find a way to get out of what the Lord has for us to do. Brothers and sisters, we need to have a passion. God, I want your ways because your ways are better than my ways. You know what I'm supposed to do. You know me better than myself. Your words, you faithfully preserve them. I need to faithfully follow what you have for me. Can I have a third point from this passage? Sure. Here's one that I think is really good. We got to seek to know and understand God's Word. I've introduced you, some of you, that may be the first time you've heard there are different manuscripts and different translations and different things, and you're like, I'm a little confused. You're invited. You're invited in this place or another church or online or using resources. You're invited to seek and to know, to truly understand God's Word.
It's not a mystery. It's not something that, oh, it's too far beyond me. Oh, it's too hard to understand. The Greek, the New Testament, was written in a language called Koine Greek. It was the common Greek. Did you know when the New Testament was first discovered, they thought it was a special spiritual language? All right, because they were like, well, all the other Greek is this very high Greek, this very formal Greek. The Greek uh, that was written for some of the great, great works of philosophy like Plato and Aristotle. The Greek of, of the Greek, great Greek playwrights like Euripides, right, and Aeschylus. Um, they wrote in a very high form of Greek. But here, this Koine or common Greek, they'd never seen before. Why is it common Greek? Well, the more archaeologists discovered more things, they found common letters and grocery lists and things like that that were written in the common Greek. And they realized, oh, the New Testament wasn't written in some kind of super educated way. It was written for the common man. It was written to be understood. It was written to be passed along so that everyone could know and everyone could understand. We are called to know God's Word because it is meant for us to understand. In Joshua chapter 8, what does it say at verse 31? Afterwards, Joshua read, or verse 34, Joshua read all of the words of the Lord. The blessings and the curses. The blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law of the Lord. Verse 35, there was not one word in all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly, including the women and the children and the foreigners who lived among, me, among them. Do you have your favorite parts of the Bible? I kind of like the Psalms. Anybody with me on that? They always seem to speak to me, whether I'm having good times or bad times. I always kind of go back to the Psalms. Does anybody like... I like Matthew 6. Remember, and Jesus is talking about don't worry about anything. Look at the birds. You know, God takes care of the birds. And, oh, look at the flowers. Not even Solomon was, was arrayed like one of these. You know, you don't have to worry. I like those little comforting ones, right? Does anybody go to the comforting passages a lot? I think I need them. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to go to favorite passages. But at the same time, we can't skip huge portions of this. Sometimes we only want to stay in the parts of the God's Word that we already know. We only want to hang out in the chapters that we're familiar with. We sort of leave out huge chunks of what God has revealed about Himself and about what God wants us to know about how we're supposed to be in this world. We need to make God's Word a priority and not just parts of it that we like already. We need to embark on a journey to see all that God has revealed. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. Jesus, the one who has come to give us relationship with God. Jesus, the one who is absolutely all that God is in the form of man. All that he is incarnated with us. The full revelation of God. Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 5. For I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until ever. Everything is accomplished. If Jesus elevates God's Word in His life, if Jesus says it's important, then it needs to be important to us. We can't just say, oh, well, I'm spiritual, or I just pray, or I just... God has given us His Word as a treasure. It's given us His Word as revelation, and we can't just kind of say, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I got my Verse of the Day app. We might need to start doing more. God has given us His Word. Finally, I want you to know this, 
that we've got to place God's Word in the center of our personal and our corporate worship. It's got to be central to our personal and our corporate worship. Listen to what it says in verse uh, 33. We're going back to Joshua chapter 8. It says, all of the Israelites with the elders, the officials, the judges, they were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. They were facing inward to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark. Both foreigners who lived among them and the native-born were there. You're getting the picture? Then it says in the next verse, half of the Israelites stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave the instructions to bless the people of Israel. As Moses uh, commanded, the people set up in sort of this like antiphonal surround sound amphitheater that God had naturally set up. It was kind of perfect. You can flip to that next slide with the picture of it. Um, the symbol number one is very much God's Word being in the middle of the people. God's Word being right there. They're all looking inward. They're all hearing God's Word pronounced. It's got to be the same for us. That symbol needs to resonate true, not just as a symbol, but in actuality, that God's Word is what we teach, that God's Word is what we do. I had a, a, a young architect student uh, back in the day at Syracuse. He was one of our first guys. He was an architecture major, and he was actually doing an architecture project for his home church. He had to do his senior thesis at Syracuse, and he said, hey, I, I, I'm going to actually do something on the church, but I've got to like do like the theoretical basis of why is a church structured the way a church is. I said, well, there's different ones, and different churches go different models. Some churches are actually built in the shape of a cross. Some churches, he said, yeah, but this is a Baptist church. Tell me about like Baptist theology about how the church is designed. I'm like, yeah, we're not big on that. We just kind of like, I'll make a box, it's a room, place for people to sit. We want a good sound system, something. We, but then I thought about it more, and I began to look at it a little bit more. I said, oh, I remember one of the things I was taught back in school. Where's the pulpit in the, in the, in the uh, Baptist church typically? R right there in the middle. Right here in the middle. Why? You've seen other churches where it's on the side. Well, for Baptists, that was one of the big symbols. It was that God's Word was going to be right here in the middle. That that's what the important part, hey, we like the music. We love the music. But this is what's important. Hey, we like to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We do other things together. But this is not the altar that's in the middle. It's God's Word that is in the middle. One of the symbols was that God's Word would be in the center. Now, as our teachers are here, I'm so thankful for you all that you've taken on a sacred trust, a sacred duty to teach these precious children that have been brought here God's Word on a daily basis. My mother, and some of you have told this story, but my mother actually taught about children's ministry at the seminary. That was her job for years. And one of her complaints in recent years has been that sometimes our children's material has gotten very cute, very wonderful, like the Space Exploration Vacation Bible School. And we learned all about the planets and all about the stars. And those are important, but they do hear about that later in school. The stories they need to hear when they're here are stories about Jesus, the stories about his followers, the stories about Moses, the stories about Joshua, the stories about King David. These are the stories that help our faith grow. We can use all kinds of cutesy illustrations. We can use all kinds of things that are good and help get our children's attention. Absolutely. And let them have the wonder of the stars and let them see the plants that God has made. Absolutely. But let's not neglect. It's not either or. Let's not neglect the teaching of the stories 
that the God has given us, passing them on to our children. It's got to be at the center. Look at what it says in Joshua chapter 8. There was not a word, not one single word that Moses commanded that Joshua didn't read to the whole assembly. The whole assembly. Including the women, including the children. We're not going to be a church that says, oh, well, we're only going to teach the men. No, the women, the children, everybody, we all are learning God's word together. It's for all of us. Well, there's a second symbol right there. You saw it, right? Half the people on one side of the mountain, half of the people on the other. Bible scholars have pointed out this. In some ways, it formed this natural amphitheater, this place where the sound kind of echoed. But one of the things it said is one group of people pronounced the blessings that God said for obedience, and the others pronounced the curses God said for disobedience. Why did they do both? I kind of like just the blessing part. Anybody with me? I love that part. They did both. Why? Because we need to be reminded. In Deuteronomy 11, it says, When the Lord your God brought you into the land you're entering, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings, and you are to proclaim on Mount Ebal the curses. Why? Well, look, Moses explains it. This day I'm calling heavens and earth as a witness against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, so that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord your God is life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God gives life. He's given us life in His Son, Jesus. He's given us His commandments to follow and to obey, and we've got to pass those on. Brothers and sisters, when I read God's Word, when I take my devotional time and put God's Word in the center, not just listening to the Christian music, not just reading the devotional book, when I have God's Word there, I hear that challenge daily. Are you going to be obedient? Are you going to follow? Are you going to do what I have that's best for you? Are you going your own way? I need God's Word at the center of my devotional life because I need to hear that challenge daily because I've got daily choices to make. And so do you. The saddest part is there are times when I've not obeyed. There's times when I've just not said yes to the Lord. There's times when I feel like I've just been like, eh, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but... And Scripture tells me that at one time we were all foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. You see, there's good news. There's good news. The good news that God's Word gives us is that God has given us His Son, Jesus. That God has made a way when there was no way. We sung about that this morning. God took our sins away. He put them on His Son, Jesus. When He nailed Jesus to the cross, when Jesus died for our sins, when He rose again, He had paid the total price that through faith in Him, we have forgiveness. I need to be reminded, because not only of my sinfulness, not only of the choices that I have to make, but also of the forgiveness and grace that is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, maybe right now you just want to say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Maybe you're watching online and you just want to say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Or maybe... You're someone who knows, I've not been choosing life. I've not been choosing life. I've been choosing my own way. And today you're saying, I, I need to renew. I need to go back to following the Lord. Or maybe like many of us, God's Word has just become kind of secondary. It's become something like, well, it's, it's, I, I, I think I've read a lot of that. Maybe I got through it. 
Would you let God's Word be renewed as a center of your worship, a center of your devotion, a center of what we're teaching our children and our grandchildren, a center of how you live. We've been chosen. We've been called. Choose life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for how it speaks to us every day. God, would you call us forward as a people, knowing your name, knowing your word, knowing your Son, and filled with your Spirit. God, would you call us forward. Bless us as a church. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. The music team is going to lead us, but maybe you this morning uh, want to make a decision. You, 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 for the first time, trusted Jesus as your Savior. I, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'm, I'm right here at the front. You can c come on up um, or talk to me after. Or maybe, maybe you um, just feel very, very called to be part of this congregation. Like, this is the church for you. We would love to have you come and join this congregation with us. God is moving here. Or if you need some other prayer, I'll be here. As Aaron and the music team come and lead us, um, I'll be here.